Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. This episode of the Collective Wisdom Podcast is brought to you by Rebecca Harrison Designs. Rebecca is a super talented artist whose architectural training really shines through in her exquisitely detailed line drawings of buildings, the natural world, or even your favourite pet. We have a gorgeous one of our dog, Bailey. But lately, she's been turning her hand to seascape paintings that capture the essence of the UK's coastline and the magic of light on water. You can find out more and explore the whole range of Rebecca's impressive repertoire of prints, cards and customer work on her Instagram page at Rebecca underscore Harrison underscore designs or visit her beautiful website, RebeccaHarrisonDesigns.co.uk. And the best bit is that Rebecca herself will be on the show next week. Thanks again to Rebecca Harrison Designs. Hello there and welcome to Collective Wisdom. My guest today is another very personal one. As this episode airs just two days after Father's Day, I thought it was only fitting to get my own dad on the podcast and share a bit of wisdom with you that I've had the privilege of being around all my life. I really lucked out when I chose my dad. He's a real gem of a man, a great storyteller, and one of the things I love about him the most is the way he's able to find a funny side to just about anything. As you'll hear, we somehow go from talking about design inspiration to a cautionary tale about what happens when you don't buy your pants from Marks and Spencers. We also talk about how he narrowly missed out on becoming a great violinist. And I came to see that seeing the best in people is something that is really baked into my DNA. So happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. And here's mine to share a bit of wit and wisdom with you. So my guest today is a man very close to my heart. Clive is a really wise and kind man who has taught me so much about everything from First World War poets to how to make the perfect sourdough batter for masala dosa. He grew up in Sunderland in the northeast of England, but moved to London when he studied economics at the LSE. It's a wonder he ever got there as his story of finding himself on a six hour bus ride from central London to his digs in Thornton Heath and having to wait there until his trunk arrived by carrier pigeon or whatever they used in those days have kept us entertained for years. He started his career working for Ford Motor Company. Clive has always had a passion for classic cars where the distinction between working hard and hardly working was a bit blurred. So he applied to do an MBA at Harvard and to his amazement, he was offered a place. One of his most endearing qualities is his sense of humour, and he's also a really good storyteller. Stories that often set him off laughing so much that the rest of us can't actually understand what he's saying by the time he gets to the end. And as the father of four daughters, Clive has become pretty good at wedding speeches, often recounting favourite moments from his own marriage of more than 50 years to the indomitable Sheila, 
But he also had us all in tears at the eulogy at his mother's funeral when he thanked the carers who attended from the nursing home where she'd spent the last years of her life for doing a job he knew he wouldn't have had the compassion or the patience to do himself. Clive has a really creative side. He makes the most beautiful furniture and has a real enthusiasm for antique glass, or glass as he calls it. He likes nothing more than to wander off into antique shops to find treasures made by the likes of Galais and Lalique. He's a true lover of craftsmanship, whether it's furniture, glassmaking or marquetry, and has tried his hand at all of those, including spending many, many hours painstakingly restoring an Aston Martin DB2 stroke 4 to its former glory. But his real strength is his keen eye for design. He now spends his days working with a team coming up with creative and innovative designs for everything from garden gates to compressed air rocket launchers and shelving systems. When I asked if he'll ever retire, he always says, I'll give up when I stop enjoying it. So I count myself very lucky to be able to call him my dad. So welcome, Clive, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And... I didn't, didn't recognise that person. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all you. And what I love about you, yeah, is that sense of humour. Even this morning when I rang to um, set up this call, and I asked about where mum was and you said, oh, she's off. She's off at Pilates, lying on her back with her legs in the air, trying to learn how to fly. And yeah, that was just a whole new take on a <laughs> Pilates lesson. But um, you've always got something funny to say. So, so tell me a bit more about this design side and the things you're getting excited about at the moment. Well, it's quite, quite interesting because when I, as I was growing up, you know, we, we came out of the, the sort of austerity after the war, and there really wasn't a hell of a lot of design to admire. You know, you know, at home, we didn't have particularly elegant furniture. And uh, I think my grandparents didn't have particularly, well, they'd, no, they, they had particularly inelegant furniture. You know, I mean, it was a, a time when I think there was very little money about and and therefore you know people people furnished their houses in a in a very rudimentary way and a lot of the housing was absolute rubbish i mean mm. the the house where my mother's parents lived you know was knocked down in about 1955 i think hitler having narrowly missed it with a bomb on two occasions <laughs> <laughs> hitler, i think it thought it was his his life's mission to, to, to destroy Hendon and uh I mean, he failed, but only narrowly. So the whole, the, I think the whole idea of being interested in design really was uh, somewhat alien. And, you know, at school, he would divide it up into two groups at a very early age, into the groups that were, you know, had some modicum of intelligence, um, who somebody decided had a good chance of passing the 11 plus and therefore you did sort of academic things so yeah when we went to you know you pass the 11 plus you go to grammar school you then sort of again at a certain point quite early on they identify those people who are going to pass exams and those who aren't and uh, so things like woodwork and metalwork any sort of design they were still associated largely with uh, 
that you're an academic, people who work with their mm. hands rather than mm. think their way through things, which is completely misguided, I think. And I, I think a lot of people ended up as, as sort of square pegs in round holes because the, 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 their imagination was, was stilted. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, I think it was only much later in life as, a, as an interest that, that I got, you know, I got interested in buildings and furniture and I suppose to extent to some extent to engineering as well. But the 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 one thing I remember, I mean the most elegant thing in Sunderland was uh, everybody had a poker because it was the age of coal fires. Mm-hmm. And they all had pokers that had sort of handles that were laminated metal. And it turned out that all these pokers came out of the shipyards. And uh I don't think we built many ships in Sunderland, but my God, we built millions of bloody pokers. <laughs> um, and they made these pokers by by taking a rod of steel and threading the end for about six inches and then running nuts down. So they'd run a, a steel nut and then a brass nut, mm-hmm. and then they would turn them all round. So you'd end up with this. And I suppose that's about the only piece of design that I really identified with until long after I left university, you know. Once you once you develop an interest in how are the how are the people do things, and I would say in my own defence, I mean there's a hell of a lot of good design that was ignored, you know, and a hell of a lot of buildings fell into disrepair, gardening that was mainly to do with growing vegetables rather than than flowers, you know, buildings were. Housing was more of a, a sort of staple than it was a, a luxury requirement to provide housing for people. I I've observed the way in which the way things develop. You know, fashion people becoming much more interested in clothes, mm. fabrics, um, the whole, I, I, and also I think affluence. You know, people have got more people have just got more money, more resources. And a bit more um, time to enjoy this stuff, perhaps, you know, in the era you were talking about, you know, when your grandmother was alive, it was more about just getting through the day and surviving. And Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the, the um, art, these are luxuries, you know, that, that mm. uh, to some extent lay outside most people's lives. Um, so it's, in, it's, it's interesting to me the way in, in which society at large has become much more aware of what pleasure you can derive from from good design and also from doing things yourself you know yeah yeah that's that whole the thing about... you sort of marry it up you don't just go and appreciate other people's it's like oh hmm. let me have a go at that so how, how's the glass making going so i know you you've been sort of signed up for classes and yeah i, I do that i really enjoy that um mm. it's uh it, it works well it's interesting I like doing uh, fusion, melting glasses together. Mm, mm. I try to create um, structures by by joining pieces of glass and then melting them into a into a structure because the outcome is all, always a bit of a it's a bit of a mystery. You know, it's not yeah. You're never sure exactly what's going to happen when you put two colours together and they blend into each other. I suppose if I live my life over, I would uh, I would look at it as sort of a creative career, you know, mm. engineering, um, architecture, perhaps. 
Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I remember, you know, coming out of university with a law degree and I was 21 and I was kind of, oh, I'm not sure I actually want to be a lawyer. And I can still remember being in the kitchen and you saying to me, just go and do something creative, Kat. And I think it's almost been given permission that that, hmm. that really helped me to sort of not feel guilty for not using the law degree to the nth degree and actually going and, you know, studying to be a lawyer. And, and it, it was, and I, I've definitely followed that, that instinct since then. I mean, I'm sure you, lawyers have their purpose, but um, I've never really been bothered to try and find out what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I watched, I watched uh, there was a program called, uh, I think it was called Briefs about solicitors in, I think it was a firm of solicitors in Manchester doing criminal work. And I watched several of those programs. And the conclusion I came to was that uh, most of the lawyers were ending up like, they were like childminders because they were dealing with people who just got themselves into all kinds of difficult situations and the lawyers were doing their best to manage the damage, you know? Yeah, um, to mitigate. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And commercial law, I mean, I, I think most, most commercial lawyers are just bored out of their mind. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, no, I don't, I don't think... Uh, but what I love is what the way you've now sort of taken the things that you love to do and... And you're still really, you know, working with the people that you worked with when you were sort of running the business. A lot of it is actually that marrying up aesthetic, but with with problem solving. Yeah, to some extent. I mean, the, the problem you've got is that it's quite hard to to be creative in, in business. You know, mm, I mean, mm. it's, you know, business is a fairly me mechanistic process of selling stuff you know i always used to look at it and say well it's don't celebrate you when you get the order celebrate when you when you actually develop the product that satisfy the order you get your hands on the product and satisfy the order oh no don't celebrate then you know? <laughs> <laughs> celebrate when you actually deliver it you know yeah. oh no don't celebrate then <laughs> actually celebrate when you get paid <laughs> yeah yeah when you get the money and that sums the whole process up. You know, it's 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 uh, it's actually trying to generate money and enough yeah. money to keep to keep going and keep everything in balance. And most businesses are, are not that fun, really. You know, it's just a series of series of, of problems. If the if the problems aren't aren't bad enough that you feel like cutting your throat, then it's fun. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so you had the odd good day and all those. Oh things. God, yeah. But you know, you're dealing with. You're dealing with people, you're dealing with uh, other companies. When push comes to shove, you know, you, you, you're operating in a doggy dog world. And, uh, yeah. But it pays the bills. But I also think most... that, you know, one of the lessons you taught me, and it was through that whole love and appreciation of, of things that have a history or incredible craftsmanship, was that whole piece around, you know, price being a calculation, a mathematical calculation and value being an emotion. Well, I always say it's the other way about, you know. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, cost is a calculation. Yeah. You can, but price is an emotion. Yeah, so that's where I would, I put the word value. So what it means to you is an emotion. Yeah, yeah, there's an element of that, yeah. Because some people need to spend you know, they feel they're not getting value for money unless they spend a huge amount of 
have money on the product you know or so, the inverse which is is some people feel if it goes beyond a certain price it's just not worth it you know if you, if you take sort of yeah a piece of lalique glass you could buy a glass vase from ikea what makes what makes lalique so much more valuable exactly um i mean that's to do with supply and demand really i mean uh, and people develop a passion for collecting things but there are there are things that command huge prices that basically are just crap yeah um, well in your eyes i think that's that's when it comes to your emotion well around it yeah i mean but a lot of them are not particularly well designed you know you look at you look it's some jewelry extremely expensive jewelry and a lot of it is just bloody vulgar mm. um you know it's not it's not beautiful it's just loud and it and it has a huge price tag associated with it um, yeah, it's more of a status piece for the people who wear jewelry like that it, it can be something that you know it's, it's about wearing your wealth on yeah your, on your finger really but yeah yeah and it's i mean the other place you find it is with tailoring well i, I suppose the absolute absurdity is this fashion for wearing the label on the outside of your clothes yeah not something you're guilty of <laughs> well you know but that just says just was daft but that's that's the modern idiom you know i remember buying some underpants in italy who went off on holiday and somehow i failed to <laughs> the pack any underpants <laughs> your mother said to me come on but can i go get some underpants so we went to a we went to a little town to a market and i bought these underpants and uh i put them on and by god they didn't fit at all and uh i, I said to your mother these, these these are the most ridiculous pair of underpants i've ever come across this this the baggy at the back and there's no way to put <laughs> no way to put your appendages at the front <laughs> and they're ugly um and it turned out i was wearing them back to front and inside out <laughs> <laughs> because in my world with a pair of underpants the label is at the back on the inside but not in the italian sort of <laughs> high fashion no you have the label at the front on the outside it's this designer thing you know mm. that if you're a designer you would put the label at the front on the outside on your underpants you know just in case somebody happened to see it yeah it's just a kiss strange all of this is reminding me of um i think the, the thing you've taught me most that's most important that sticks out the most is never take yourself or anybody else too seriously so yeah that kind of sums it up really yeah yeah, yeah i think so i mean i think i think if you look at people and you try to look beneath their skin the ones that are in many ways the most vulnerable are the ones that think they are tremendously important and the ones that are most boring are the ones that have no sense of humor yeah i think there's there's a time for time for being serious and there's a time for being humorous but most of all you know humor is not a bad reality check no god no as they say the americans say sort of sorting out the ice cream from the whole shit, you know <laughs> But sometimes if you are if you're able to see the funny side of something you were uh, you also strip away a lot of the hubris you know a lot of the vanity yeah, um, yeah. again people 
people display, you know. They... And even in the most sombre of occasions, because I mean that 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 story around sitting at Nan Batty's funeral when Nan Glass was still alive, but very confused about things, and she's crying her eyes out and asking for more Kleenex, and then she suddenly turns around and goes, "Whose funeral is it?" And your shoulders just start. <laughs> But yeah, I think I think being able to sort of go to that place where you can find the funny side and yeah, not take yourself too seriously is often that no matter how bad it seems. And that's something that's been part of our lives for sure. You know, there's always been a sort of reason to to kind of access that funny side of, of things. Yeah, I mean, I think the most repressive aspect of, of life, you know, I'm not just talking about governments, I'm talking about companies and schools and churches all these institutions that command respect you know feel that they have to command respect you know the one thing they they lack in general is an ability to laugh at themselves because i think sometimes if you can laugh at yourself you actually you know you measure yourself yeah it's a form of humility at the end of the day yeah and if you take you know organized religion as an example i don't think it could laugh at itself no um, no definitely not uh, that's when things get really get taken too seriously yeah. yeah for sure no i like i love uh, i love comedy and really good comedy i think is is timeless and it's 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 classless and it's it's uh, it's enduring you know bringing you on to the the reason we're here which is to tell a few stories what was the act of simple kindness that you wanted to tell me about you know you mentioned the the uh people who do looked after your gran you know when she was mm. in her last years and people are looking after william now yeah you know the and and the one thing that that one of the sort of perverse things about society at large is that the people who exhibit that sort of kindness and and uh, ability to look after other people generally the the, the, the certainly financially they're the least valued um, mm, mm. but i think they are they are the people who, who really deserve our respect. I find it something you know, that, that I couldn't do. And uh, I mean, I, there's several reasons why I couldn't do it because I, but one of them is I couldn't live on the pier. No, no. You know, but that's probably the, it's probably the least important one. You know, that's probably the lowest barrier because just being able to think about other people, which a lot of these people do, they think about other people before they think of themselves, you know? Yeah. That's, uh, and also, you know, carrying out functions where the recognition you get is often very well hidden by society, you know. Oh, sort of absolutely, say. yeah. You know, you're regarded as being at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, I remember, I mean, one of my the most formative experiences of my life was actually working in a home for the elderly when, you know, when I was up at Brendan Care. And I think it taught me more about, yeah, death is a great equaler. There's, there's no... There's no second guessing it, but also just as you say, those those people who had so much care and compassion and kindness in them, mm -hmm. and the rewards were, yeah. I mean, it was great for me. I was I was a sixteen year old at the time, so it was great Saturday pay, but it's not a lot of money. Well, I think the same thing goes for a lot of school teachers. Mm. You know, they are seeing instances where they get to recognise hidden talent. You know. Yeah. Uh, frustrated talent and also sometimes just you know they get to recognize disadvantage and they 
you know, they play their part in, in trying to redress that. Yeah. I'm sure that's got harder. But, and employers, you know, there are lots of, you see people in um, business situations where they find that, that they can make space to to give people a leg up the ladder, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and see the best I, in people. I think, I think it's, if you can just see the best in people, especially if they are living through difficult circumstances, it can make a huge difference at the time. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's easy to be a shit. Mm. You know, you don't, need, don't even need any money to do it. You know, you just need to be able to regard yourself as being more important than anything else, you know? Yeah. And I suppose it, that's one of the problems I think that we, we have with some of the things that have developed in, in, in our society in the last 20, 25 years, you know? We, we kicked on about efficiency and and uh, God knows what else, meritocracy and being able to measure people, test people, measure mm. people. But, I mean, most of these things all end up in the same place, which is the most effort is diverted towards those people who actually are probably going to do the best anyway. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and there's not enough attention given to, towards the people who are, to a degree, being left behind, you know. Yeah, being um, marginalised. And I don't know who, who who represents those people. You know, mm. we only seem to be able to do it now in a formalised way. I think there's less there's less scope for people being able to do it in a in a sort of informal way. Yeah, absolutely. Less scope in schools. There's less probably less scope in business, and it's it's in the way that you mean sort of community leaders would have played their roles. Before. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and to some extent in communities themselves. Mm. That's not entirely true, but but even so, everything we do has got to be done in a more sort of a more organised way. Mm. When I was a kid, we we played football. Yeah, we used to go down on the cliff top and put some courts down and play football with your courts as the goalposts. You know, then in the winter when it got dark early, we used to have a floodlit game. We used to play in the car park of the Marina Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> which was lit <laughs> sort of about seven o'clock when the manager came out and told us to bugger off you know? <laughs> people wanted to come and uh, park their cars to go to the cinema the good old uh, days yeah I mean they were to some extent they were the good old days yeah you know, no we can't do anything without it being kind of professionalised you know yeah um, which does leave people behind yeah absolutely yeah I suppose the, the difference was 50, 60 years ago, you know, most people were behind. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I guess that's the... I mean, I remember being selected to run for Sunderland in some athletic event. And, uh, you know, we would loan a tracksuit and loan some spikes because nobody had a tracksuit. Nobody had no, spikes. No. But uh, the uh, PE department so I said, all right, go here on a certain day and you've got a, a vest and a tracksuit and some spikes and, Spent the next three days mutilating your feet, stepping on your feet. <laughs> <laughs> the fact they didn't fit wasn't. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I mean, I remember playing for the school football team. And, well, this is a junior school, you know, and uh, I mean, they used to lend us the shirts. They used to have a set of shirts. Now played in goal, but they didn't have a goalkeeper's jersey, so we didn't have a sportsmaster. But the teacher, Mister Ruffy, took everything, you know. 
you know, he used to have one teacher. Uh, he did cricket, football. So he said, have you got a jumper? Have <laughs> 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 you got a jumper you could bring? I said, well, the only thing I've got is my Cubs jumper. So it turned out I, I, I went to play f- for the school in goal wearing my Cubs jumper inside out. So all the badges were on the inside. <laughs> With the with There's the words of my mother, <laughs> with, with the words of my mother ringing in my ears, don't get any mud on that jersey. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so the challenge for you was to be a goalie without getting muddy. <laughs> oh, no diving, no diving. So you couldn't catch the ball. You had to get the ball like this. <laughs> but it was a much less it was a much less prosperous world. But mm. it was much more fun. <laughs> so do you would you say you know that brings us on to challenges would you say life was more challenging back then or has it become more challenging life is always challenging mm. you know is it more was it more challenging then i think it was simpler then yeah um you only had one jumper to worry about yeah you wore your jersey inside out on a saturday uh turned it the other way around on a on a friday to go to cubs um well it, I think this is a, one of one of the interesting things that uh, when you look back, people certainly had less material things. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Whether there was was that a less less prosperous time? Was there more stress as a result? Well, I I read a thing the other day that said it was talking about Britain and what proportion of people have less than a hundred pound savings, mm. and how stress you know you think how stressful that must be. Where you've got no, you know, you've got nothing to fall back on. So, what's the figure? I think it's like twenty percent of families, twenty percent of households mm-hmm. um, have less than a hundred pounds saving. But in my lifetime, I think it was much more common for people to have very few resources behind them. Yeah, yeah. I go back to my grandparents in the nineteen thirties. People live with a much higher degree of financial insecurity. Mm. Uh, and if you didn't work you didn't necessarily get paid and yeah yeah absolutely well, sometimes if you did work you didn't get paid yeah 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 i mean when when your grandpa glass died there was a tradition at that i think it's might probably died out now of open house you know and people would come to pay their respects you know i had have a bottle of whiskey and uh, and a guy came with his wife i'd not met him before and he was he was saying how he worked with the dad in probably was before the war and how you know there were bricklayers and you couldn't lay bricks in the rain and he said their worst week they turned up for five and a half days because they worked saturday mornings as well and never laid a brick yeah he said you know they sat in the hut and played cards and drank tea and at the end of the week their pay was nothing and he said they ordered they each other tea boy a shilling for the, for the tea and the milk, you know. Um, and the, I think it's undeniable that the, the, the level of stress associated with that must have been very high indeed. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the pawn shop, people did pawn things that, that were of little value, you know. People used to pawn their dinner plates and things like this, their crockery. Yeah. You know, just to get enough to get something to eat and put them in on a monday and take the money out and then go and get them back on the saturday yeah it's quite hard to define stress you know and it's relative i mean if everybody else around you was in a similar position then 
that was the reality and therefore it probably didn't seem, you know, you weren't comparing yourself to somebody who was swanning about doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was just the way of life. Yeah. And, it, and I mean, I don't think you'd have called it a consumer society, you know, yeah. and, you know, for probably a fairly, you know, if you just think about Britain, you know, for a good proportion of society, that's, that's what life was like. You yeah, know, they, yeah. you, you know, you, there was no expectation when you went to school that you were going to go to university. You know, for most people, mm. it, it was preordained. You know, it doesn't matter how clever you were, you would leave happen. school at fourteen. You know. Well, I remember the stat that when you and Mum went to university, you were the, you know five percent of the population. Yeah, it was it was quite unusual, and that kind of catapults people into a whole new earning capacity and level of... Well, I think that was to do with the fact that, that uh, you know, there, there was a, a view that after the war, Britain needed a, to develop a sort of managerial class. Mm. You know, we needed more managers for the developing economy and therefore you you needed to send more more men generally, you know, rather yeah, than women, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, to university. That, uh, I mean, it did make a, bit, a huge difference to, to a lot of people's lives, you know. Well, certainly when you look at your own sort of, you know, the, the fact that you went to London to university and then your first job was down in, what, Essex? Mm. Yeah, so that, that kind of migration wouldn't have happened otherwise, really. Yeah, like people moved to find work. Yeah. At the time in the northeast, there was a reason why I worked. It was just, I suppose there were... To some, to some extent, there were declining industries. Mm, mm. Yeah. I mean, the coal industry was something that you didn't really want to be involved with. No. Coal, shipbuilding. You wouldn't have seen them as, you wouldn't necessarily have regarded them as as, as uh, declining at the time. Yeah. Um, a lot of the new industries were uh, chemicals in Middlesbrough, ICI, and a big, yeah. you know, a big chemical complex. But, I mean, I think there's still a lot of business focus, particularly managerial head office, you know, Mm-mm. was in the southeast rather than the northeast. But, yeah, a migration away. So when did when did music start first playing a sort of part in your life? I remember the story about learning disastrously to play the violin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well... Yeah, that wasn't that by my sister stepping on the violin and breaking the bloody neck off. It made it quite hard to play. <laughs> made it quite hard to play. Even Yudi Mamajumamonyu couldn't have got a tune out of my violin after after Auntie Sylvia stepped on it. Um, but the, the really the reason I mean I always remember junior school we were told. We were going to learn the recorder. So we were sent home to say to your mother, I've got to have a recorder. And I think what this was all about was that uh, the recorder salesman was going to come. He was going to sell 25 recorders and the headmaster was going to get a bum. <laughs> so we got this recorder. And I can't remember ever doing anything with it. Yeah, you know, there, there was a recorder in a book and... Uh, if we did have any recorder lessons, then that happened the week I had chicken pox. 
one one day we were out in the school playground playing football. Somebody came and said, "Oh, we've got to go up to the hall. Get your recorder." The the headmaster wants to listen to all the recorder bits. <laughs> <laughs> so we we, <laughs> we go up to the the hall and we stand in a line, and the headmaster's at the front of the line. Some poor kid can right. Let me hear you play. <laughs> Get out of here. Take your recorder with you. <laughs> and to my recollection, he never, I don't think anybody got a tune out of the bloody thing. So that was the that was the extent of my music tuition until I was 11. And then I went, when we went to grammar school, the, the music master auditioned all of us for to see whether we could sing in the choir. And again, you know, stand up and sing something. Well, <laughs> <bugger off. laughs> don't want you. Build a cat. <laughs> <laughs> don't want you. Um, and then there was the thing about they were going to have violin. We we're going to have violin lessons, and this was after school. Some lady was going to come and uh, teach us the violin. So we got the violin. We got we were issued with a violin, and uh, I took it home on a Friday night and. Uh, Saturday morning, I was lying in bed and I decided I would, I'd just have a go on my violin <laughs> <laughs> to see how good I was going to be. And I, I had a bit of a go on. And uh, I wasn't very good, so I just put it on the floor beside the bed. And uh, I was just lying in bed, snoozing, and Sylvia came in, jumped on the bed, made a bloody nuisance of herself, jumped off the bed and jumped onto the violin. <laughs> <laughs> Broke it into two pieces. <laughs> so I thought, oh my God, I'm in trouble now. And I decided the only thing I could do, slim chance, was to put it in the case, turn up for the violin lesson and say the one, I've changed my mind, I don't want to learn the violin. And hope she didn't open the case. And my good fortune, she didn't. Um, she would just got the home and said, well, I don't know what you thought you could. Snatch the violin off me and threw it in the bottom of a cupboard. And I scuttled off like a rat up a drain pipe. So if it hadn't been for Sylvia, it might have been that you were, you were the next Yehudi Menuhin. I could have been. I was, I was probably a huge musical talent. That, uh, just wasted on the world. <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those things where the, the, uh, the stars never aligned. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... I mean, I didn't take a great interest in music until e even sort of pop music. I was a kid, you know, I remember my friends being really um, interested in Buddy Holly, you know. Yeah. Buddy Holly, that'll be the day. And what about um, Beatles? That, that must have been around the time that you were... Beatles were a bit later. Okay. Beatles were about 62, I think. Buddy Holly was sort of 58. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, never really figured with me. And uh, I got interested. We went to, uh, we were in Sunderland, and we went to Mackerel, which was a sort of discount warehouse place. And they had this record player on sale. So your mother and I, why don't we get this record player? So we bought this bloody thing up in Sunderland. Now we took it back to Essex. I think we bought a, we bought a, a long playing record, The Carpenters. Oh, yeah. The Carpenters. And, uh, we got back to Sunderland Sunday evening and your mother went to carry this bloody 
record player into the house and she slipped and the record player went through the window and she went after it. She made this huge cut on her arm. Bloody hell. So that was my introduction to uh, recorded music. Yeah. Um, it's dangerous. Quite dramatic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then on the Monday, Tuesday, I went at lunchtime, came out of work, went to this shop, news agents over, over to the Ford building, and uh, they had some records, classics for pleasure. Right. It's a label. And uh, for some reason, I bought Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony, and uh, I played it, and I was just entranced by it, you know. Right away. Um, Great piece of music to start with. Then I realised that I think it's the fourth movement was uh, was a passage from the fourth movement had been used on some advert in the states that I'd heard many many times and thought that's a wonderful piece of music. Yeah. And uh, you know that just got me into you know listening to music. I've never been able to read music or play music, but I love listening to it and. I mean, I like the I, again. I like the the uh, the thing about you know just the sheer quality mm. Um, mm. of certain pieces of music. You know? Yeah. Um, not not all classical music. I like a lot, but quite like pop music. You know. Yeah. Well, I like Buddy Holly. I think Buddy Holly was. So you incredible. sort of came into it late in life because I mean I still remember when we were growing up. Yeah, it was Buddy Holly. Bit of the Carpenters, Don McLean. Don McLean, yeah. Yeah, and into intermix with that was just, and you always play it very loud, sort of classical music on a Sunday morning. So, mm. yeah, just it's a it's a form of relaxation, I guess. Well, if you drive a lot, yeah, you know, driving is a good good opportunity to listen to music. Yeah, and I guess given your commute was two hundred miles round trip, you did yeah. quite a lot of driving. I did leave a lot of me. You did, you did. Um, so thank you for that. And yeah, this this is all about collective wisdom. Um, you have definitely been somebody who has shared a lot of wisdom with me. I'm very grateful to you for all the wisdom that you've brought into my life. But what's the one piece of wisdom you'd like to add to the collection? The one piece of wisdom? Well, that's very difficult. I mean, mm. I think... I'm a great student of history, but I think the purpose of, of studying history is to improve understanding, you know, what went on and to sort of use that to get perspective on what's happening now mm. you know, and what is likely to happen in the future. And associated with that, try to understand the past, spend time trying to understand the past because it, it does help you understand the present but a contradiction in a sense is in a personal sense you know never look back never never spend time mulling over what might have been wow yeah 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 you know um you know you, you something happened you made a decision you made the wrong decision well you're not going to change it by by sort of thinking about what might have been if you'd done something different yeah um it's that thing about another piece of advice about only worry about the things you can control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, don't don't spend a lot of time developing regrets about about you know things that 
you should have done, you could have done. And you probably can't change. Yeah, you know. You yeah. just make a new decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Absolutely. gone. Yeah. Um, and I think that applies to so many so many things. You know, we were talking earlier about careers mm. and what you could have done. Um, and, yeah, you know, perhaps I would have been the greatest architect that since Frank Lloyd Wright or Randy McIntosh, you know. But the only thing we know for certain is I, I'm not. I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can't you can't engage in in a process which which satisfies you in 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 in, in relation to creating things. I, yeah, admiring what they do, you know. And you know, as you get older, you there's this tendency to to think, well, you know, I've just got to sit here in the waiting room. You know, I'm in the waiting room for death. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And the only name, letters I'm going to get out of my name now are R.I.P. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, don't think like that. No. You know, think, always look look forward and, you know, think about what you can do and, and don't let other people discourage you. You know, the um, as you get older, you can see people start to look at you and, and you know, you can see this sort of thinking, you know, you've had your day, you know, your time's gone. Mm, mm. But no... But, that's a lot of bollocks. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Um, if you've got the enthusiasm, then if you still got the enthusiasm and you, you, you know, you've got a desire to do something, then you know tomorrow is as good a day as any to do it. You know? Absolutely, oh, I um, love that. Yeah, no, that's that's really that's really solid advice, especially coming from someone later in life who, yeah, hasn't. I'll stop working when I stop enjoying it. That's a an amazing philosophy to have. But I think this applies, you know, whether you're 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75. Yeah, you know, yeah. If you miss the boat at 18, it doesn't mean you can't no. you can't you build your own tomorrow. boat at 25. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And, 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 and yeah, to some extent, it's the, it's the same associated with that. It's, you know, don't let people put you in a bloody box. Mm. Now, that's quite hard to do because, really you know, because – so many things had to do with, you know, are you qualified? Now, you know, one of the things I believe are that some of the, in relation to education, schools are probably as destructive as they are constructive. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because they, to some extent, you know, they inhibit some some people. I mean, when I when I got to about seventy, I thought, oh, I might get some qualifications, and I thought. See, I could, I could never call myself a designer because I've never done design training. Mm. I could have designed, I hadn't sort of designed things. I couldn't design the camel. So I thought I might try the open university. You know? So I had a look at their curriculum. You know? And yeah, they do, they do a degree in design. Uh, but then they, when you look at that, the first part of it is trying to convince you that you really need them to take you on this road of discovery, you know. So you had to do, the first First thing they ask you is, you know, what qualifications have you got? Mm. And then, you know, but that's that's pre-qualifications. You know, that's what you need to be able to qualify. To, to get to the first To post. get to their point of their tuition, you know. Now I look at the first year, and I think one of the projects was design a T-shirt. Well, you know, and, I, and in a way that sums up 
what what happens so often in this whole process of are you qualified and, and quite often the process of qualification is 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 to persuade everybody that they're, they're sort of smaller than the the tallest bloke they've trained you know yeah yeah now the tallest one they've trained is probably only five foot six so to get everybody to fit under him they've got to chop their legs off and i think uh getting around that that whole process of having the confidence to to screw things up you know yeah, absolutely um there's, there's a there's a great deal to be said for that you know now the kids are um there are there are avenues down which they can you know they can apply their own imagination apply their own furrow yeah, yeah. Um, not professions like people are doing, you know, the, the writing apps and yeah. things like that. You know, the, the qualification is can you do it? Yeah. And if you Get can on make and your, do it. And if you can't, and yeah. failure is part of the road to success, yeah. you know, you're going to have to iterate and try again. And absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So, so don't, don't look back in terms of, sort of going, oh, well, I missed that boat or I made a mistake there, yeah. you know, and, and allow that to, restrict your thinking forever you know well you know father i think there is a profession for you as a life coach if you ever get bored of design yeah. <laughs> well i was asked you know i'm still going to work and people people hesitate to ask you the question directly what the hell are you still doing here yeah you know? yeah yeah um and uh I, one day i said to a block well my role here is justified by what i do tomorrow yeah you know not what i did yesterday and I said, your role here is defined by what you did tomorrow, not what you did yesterday. So let's wait till tomorrow night and we'll compare notes as to, yeah. as to what we've done. But for a lot of people, it's about what you did yesterday. You know, yeah. who did you work for? That's a lot of bollocks. I mean, it's really, what are you doing now? What are you going to do tomorrow? You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And generally, the people who look to, to, to tomorrow they're thinking about what they're going to do tomorrow and they've got they've got less time for politics and yeah and status symbols and just generally screwing the place off they're just getting on with it quite getting on with, yeah yeah absolutely absolutely well long may it last so thank you so much for taking the time to join me this is um so this episode's going to come out two days after father's day so it's by way of celebration of an amazing okay. dad one of my favorite stories, I don't know if you know this story, but um, you used to, when you were traveling, you didn't always come home from work every night. So if you were in Italy or something, but whenever you did, even if we'd fallen asleep, you would always go upstairs and you'd wake us up just, you know, it'd be half, half awake and you'd say, do you want to know a secret? And we go, what? I love you. And yeah, I think that's something that it's always reminded me of what a great start in life I had. And that's partly in thanks to you and mum. Phenomenal. Maybe your mother. No, no, that's ridiculous. But no, just mm. listening to you and, and hearing, you know, where some of those values come from. And it, it's really interesting to hear that whole, that whole philosophy, that whole approach to life has been something that is kind of baked into my, my DNA, really. Yeah, the other, the other final thing I'd say is always be suspicious of people who try to disqualify you. Yeah. And I've worked with people who are not very good down a particular avenue. So they're not very good at, at 
spelling or writing and yeah and and what people tend to do is say he's not good at that therefore you know that's a reason to disqualify him or her yeah but quite often you find that you know people who are not particularly good at some aspect of life brilliant in other in other ways you know um yeah and and yeah, always be suspicious of people who try to disqualify other people you know because generally it's, it's just a destructive it's a destructive process and it yeah. doesn't yeah, do any of us any good find people's strengths rather than their weaknesses it just yeah. makes the world a better place yeah yeah for um, sure and, and then maybe it's time for you to get that violin back out and uh, crack on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Not that particular violin. <laughs> Lots go back of love to you, Dad. I'm going to wrap this up and say okay. thank you. Thank you very much for being so generous and um, look forward to sharing the episode with you. I enjoyed that conversation. Love you, Dad. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from. So I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.